Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today our guest is Len Katzen, Kat, Kasten, and he's the author of several books, um, one which is called Dark Fleet, The Secret Nazi Space Program in a Battle for the Solar System. Thanks for being on the show. Nice to be with you, Gary. So this is... Um, your books are definitely on some very interesting topics. Um, so, I mean, my first question is always the most obvious. Like, what got you interested um, in this topic? Okay, well, you want me to go back in history then about this? Sure. Okay. I first started uh, about 20 years ago. Actually, I think it was more than 20 years ago writing articles for Atlantis Rising magazine. Are you familiar with that magazine, Atlantis mm -hmm. Rising? No, I'm not. I wrote over 60 articles for Atlantis Rising magazine over a 14-year period. Uh, about half of them were on the topics of UFOs and extraterrestrials. And uh, then I wrote my first book, which was The Secret History of Extraterrestrials which you can now get on Amazon, has been on Amazon for a long time. Uh, that book is still there and it's still selling. Um, that book, in that book, I took 21 of my articles from Atlantis Rising mm -hmm. and put, put them together and they became the book. Uh, the publisher and I agreed on that, was, on that a, way, a way to do it okay. because it all worked out beautifully the articles seem to have a, a running narrative about the UFO situation. And uh, then I wrote my next book, which was uh, Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, which you may have heard about. Right. And uh, then my third book was Alien World Order, which got into the subject of the reptilians. Mm -hmm. Now, when I wrote that book, uh, which was published about all of my books have been published by uh, Inner Traditions, uh, also known as Baron Company. Right. And uh, when I wrote that book, I went in deeply into the reptilian situation and the fact that the reptilians were basically controlling the human race. But when I got to the end of the book, I realized that by limiting my book to Earth, I was not telling the whole story. I had to go beyond Earth to get the rest of the story told. And that's where Dark Fleet came in. And I wrote that book. It took me about a year to write Dark Fleet. That put everything together. And that brought us to the current situation, which is the fact that the reptilians are really on the moon and Mars and are really controlling us from those two planets. Hmm. Uh, that's the whole story. And that's why that's why that that book had to be written. Where did the uh, reptilians come from, and when did they first interact, start interacting with humans? The reptilians were here first, so they were and here they think us. and they think of, yes, they were here first uh, about a million years ago. But uh, when they came to this solar system, there were humans already living on Mars, 
And there were humans already living on a planet called Maldek, which was between Mars and Jupiter. It's a gigantic planet between Mars and Jupiter. When the reptilians arrived in this solar system, the first thing they did was they stripped the uh, atmosphere off of Mars, forcing all the occupants to go underground, and then they destroyed Maldek completely. They shattered it, killing almost all of the occupants. And that became the asteroid belt, which we now call the asteroid belt. So when they arrived in this solar system, that was the way they made their grand entrance. Okay? So they're not very friendly. No, they're not very friendly. They know, all they know how to do is dominate and control. They have, no, uh, they have no heart chakra. They have no compassion. None of that. Okay, so then, then, uh, they, then they arrived at, on Earth after destroying Maldek. They, I know this is going to sound uh, rather fantastic, but they towed a planet here, and that became the moon. They towed the moon here from a very distant star system and used it as a stepping stone for inhabiting Earth. And, if you, and now we're just coming around to believe, to understanding that the moon is really an artificial structure and is not really a planet. Mm -hmm. Finally, that finally that's making the news on Ancient Aliens. Do you ever watch right. Ancient Aliens? I watch it all the time. Well, that, they're just talking about that now, that the moon is an artificial structure. And all you have to do is look at the surface of the moon. It's pockmarked craters all over the, all over the moon and not a single pockmarked crater on our planet. So that tells you that it's from a different place. And also the moon is hollow. So they did that. They set up the, the reptilians have this technology. I must tell you that they have amazing technology, way beyond anything we have. When they positioned the moon uh, to rotate around the Earth, then they began to, to uh, inhabit this planet, which was originally a water planet. And uh, they had the technology to actually dry out this planet and when they did that, two continents emerged out of the water. Okay. One, one, was, one was Lemuria, which we now call Lemuria, or Mu, and the other one was Atlantis. They settled on Lemuria. They, they, uh, I know what I'm about to tell you also sounds kind of ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's the truth. When they arrived here, they brought their dinosaurs with them because dinosaurs were their food source. And so the early phases of life on Earth, the dinosaurs roamed freely. And they used the dinosaurs as food. Okay. And they settled on Earth and lived here un, 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 uh, unrestricted for 100,000 years. Now, before they came here, they had already destroyed three planets in the Lyra system and they had killed 50 million humans there. At that point, the, the Federation, the Human Federation in this solar system and in this galaxy decided that they were not going to let the reptilians have this, this planet. And they sent a fierce race of humans uh, from the Pleiades to inhabit the continent of Atlantis. And the, the Atlanteans were very advanced spiritually. 
psychologically, and they had tremendous technology, and they had tremendous weaponry. And immediately a war broke out between the reptilians and the humans on this planet. The, the humans, the Martians, or the, I should say the, the Atlanteans, had the technology to weaken the foundations of, of Lemuria and caused it to sink beneath the Pacific Ocean. And the reptilians had to take, had to take refuge underground. So the reptilians went underground about 60,000 years ago, and the human reptilians, the, human, uh, the humans on Atlantis, now had the surface of this planet all to themselves. And they created a very, very golden civilization. And there are many books written about Atlantis and about the civilization of Atlantis. But the reptilians were not through with us. They immediately did the same thing to us that we did to them, and they caused Atlantis to sink in one night. But we had, the humans on Atlantis had, had notice of that, and they had already scattered all over the globe. They left before it sank. Mm-hmm. So now we have a situation where the reptilians are living underground, and they, they're very comfortable underground, by the way. They have a very advanced civilization down there. They have high technology. They have high-speed train systems. They have portals. They go in and out of of the portals, out into the solar system, out into the uh, galaxy. So now they're living there comfortably, and they have us on the surface. But the us on the surface, the the Atlanteans, are now decimated. So that was the point at which the, the Federation decided that they were going to do something about the situation here. And what we know now is the Garden of Eden, or the, the human race, was created about 30 or 40,000 years ago. And the purpose of that was to confront the reptilians and to try and destroy them. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've been ever since, okay? But they still control us. They have the technology to start wars, to start viruses, to start diseases. And they abduct humans. They actually eat humans, and uh, they basically control our civilization from beneath, from beneath the surface. We, on, the top, on the surface, we seem to be free. We seem to be okay, but really, we're like cattle on a ranch. Interesting. That's, that's where we are. That's where we are today. The human race is slowly advancing because we have many friends in the galaxy and in the solar system. Who are helping us. So do, do the reptilians have an agenda for us? Other than just using it. us for food? For food, for control. Yes. Uh, all of those things. Um, but they don't do it directly. They do it through a hybrid, a hybrid race of humans called Illuminati, the Illuminati. The Illuminati are part reptilian and part human. And they control everything here. They control the financial system, Hollywood, uh, the pharmaceutical companies. They control this planet uh, for the reptilians. Are the Clintons shape-shifting reptilians? The Illuminati are shape-shifting reptilians. But they're not, they're not totally reptilian. Most of them have no more than 50% reptilian blood. But all the royalty on this planet, the, the kings and the queens, so-called blue bloods, 
They're all Illuminati. They're all Illuminati. Is there any type of specific marker in your DNA that would allow us to tell them apart from a regular human? Uh, yes, of course there is. Uh, for one thing, they are they're usually RH negative, but there are other markers that our, our geneticists are able to determine also, but nobody speaks of it. But the RH negative factor is a, is a dead giveaway. Um, why did he stay here? Why don't they just find another planet to go to or you know, like another species to dominate? You have to understand the nature, the nature of the reptilians. They're very, very advanced technologically, very, way beyond us. And uh, they control 21 star systems in this section of the galaxy. Okay, we're just one of the many star systems in their empire. So, but we're, we're getting ready to now, we're getting very close now to the point where they will be leaving because uh, we have other friends in the galaxy that are now helping us. Because, you know, originally there's something called the Prime Directive. Have you, have you ever watched Star Trek? Yes, the, the, the not interfere. That's correct, the Prime Directive. And they have never interfered, but what they have done, what our friends have done is inspire us in various ways and, and given us information uh, and helped us in many, many ways, but now, my understanding is that effective recently, the Andromedans have come to our assistance and have kicked the reptilians off the planet completely. They have cleaned out all the undersea bases, all the underground bases, and basically now, my understanding is that we now are on our own. Um, did there, on, what is it? on one of the videos that was on your website was showing um, some underground bases in Antarctica. Yeah, exactly. So, so they're leaving all those bases? Yes, the, the Antarctic base is their, is their, uh, is, their galac is their galactic base for travel throughout the solar system and through the galaxy. That's, that's their star base. They have huge caverns. There are huge caverns under the ice in Antarctica. And uh, they uh, send, send missions from Antarctica all over, the, all, over the, all over the galaxy. They have starships, which originate there. So it's kind of like their home base. It's their home base on this planet. Um, Basically, when you have you read my book, I, I have not. No. Okay. When the reptilians uh, started their base in Antarctica, it was with the help of the Nazis, the German Nazis. They've been working together from the beginning, and uh, the reptilians were helped helped Hitler in everything he did. However, uh, they, the, Hitler was a madman, and he, he was also very independent thinking, and he didn't follow all the things they wanted him to do. He thought he could be a general, and he thought he could, he could fight a battle. He could fight a war on two fronts, Russia and the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had some very smart generals of our own. 
So, uh, so basically, when he began to lose the war, basically in Russia, at Kursk and at Stalingrad, the reptilians abandoned him completely because they couldn't control him. And they knew he was headed for, for a disaster. So they left him. And that's when we were able to close in and win by a, uh, by a war from the air. We control the air. Uh, there, was, there was a point there where, rock, where his rocketry, uh, if, they had, if he had a chance to perfect it when he was bombing London with his rockets, that he could have won the war at that point with rocketry. And at that point, he had von Braun working for him. Mm-hmm. Von Braun was a Nazi. He was right. a Nazi colonel. Uh, so uh, he came close at that point, but uh, we could our our bombing our bombing from the air was so was so deadly. We were wiping out complete German cities, cities all over Europe, and he couldn't get he couldn't get his uh, his rocketry working. He, he was trying to develop the ability to bomb the United States from the air and he couldn't do it. And he's, at the same time as he's fighting a war on two fronts, he's also got a, he's also got a, uh, a, a campaign working to, to start slaughtering all these people in concentration camps. He was basically a madman and the reptilians eventually knew it and they left him on, their, on his own. And that's when we won, or we seemed to win, but we didn't really win the war. What happened? That's the, the German scientists, towards the end, in 1944, the businessmen and the scientists realized that he was leading them to disaster. And they tried to kill him. You know about that, right? Right. The attempted assassination. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by, by a stroke of luck, he was standing at a big map table when the bomb went off. And just before the bomb went off, he started walking all the way around the table. So he got hurt, but it didn't kill him. And we know the whole story after that. He, he found out who the people were, including Rommel, and he had them all executed. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, by that, by that time, the German scientists who were very, very sophisticated, in, especially in terms of, uh, of uh, nuclear weaponry, which they are very close to perfecting, decided that when they decided to kill him, they decided they had to have their own, they had to get rid of him completely. So um, the base on Antarctica became the refuge for the top level Germans, science, scientists. And they developed a very, very sophisticated aerospace uh, industry there in Antarctica. And uh, working with the reptilians, they started sending missions to the moon and Mars from Antarctica. Uh, and also they took over a lot of American business, it, businesses and financial interests. Eventually the Nazis through Operation Paperclip, basically started to take over this country. Eisenhower saw it, saw it coming, but he couldn't do anything about it. 
he tried to warn us in his in his last speech that he made before Kennedy took over. Uh, I think you probably know about that speech. Actually, I don't. Oh, you what, don't what, about? I, yeah, what was it he said that was uh, a warning? Okay, that's in my book. You have to read the book. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I go into the, that speech in, in great detail. He realized at that point that the Nazis were taking over our business interests, our aerospace business, and because we knew that they were going to the moon and Mars, we, we wanted a piece of that. We wanted, to, we wanted their anti-gravity technology. So the American businesses and the German businesses became intertwined. And we became essentially a Nazi country. They took over everything here, step by step. And then they put their own Nazi colonel in charge of the whole aerospace program, Werner von Braun. So that's okay. how Werner von Braun got to be the, the head of NASA. So basically, that's where we are. That's where we are today. Uh, but then, then started, things started to change because uh, other, th other factors came into it. But basically, according to people like Bill Tompkins and others, we really lost the war. We really lost the war because we may have won it militarily, but we did not win it scientifically. And they, had a, they were establishing uh, large colonies on the moon and Mars that were all German colonies. They're all Nazi colonies. And they had, space, they had spaceships that went about three or four times the speed of light. Uh, very sophisticated technology. And they started abducting humans from this planet, using them as slaves on the moon and Mars, using them as soldiers. They became the so-called super soldiers. You probably heard about them, right? Yes. So we know from the super soldiers exactly what was happening. And one of them in particular, Randy Kramer. Uh, do you know about Randy Kramer? No. Okay. Well, Randy Kramer was a super soldier on Mars. He, he fought battles for them. 17 years on Mars and then he became wounded so they they changed him to a pilot he became a pilot of a very large spacecraft and he finished finished out his 20 year, 20 year commitment they insisted on a 20 year commitment mm -hmm. from anybody they, that they uh, used oh wait yeah yeah I did hear an interview with him I did hear part of that of Randy Kramer yeah yeah I met Randy I had I had a beer with him and I spoke with him at length at a conference in, uh, in um, Albuquerque. He's a great guy and he's very smart. So he, here's the thing I wanted to make, the point I wanna make here. Since you haven't read my book, uh, you haven't read the chapter on technology, have you? No, I haven't. Okay, I have a, a complete uh, addendum on their technology on the moon and Mars. And after you read that, you'll realize what they can do and um, one, of the, one of the most incredible pieces of their technology is the fact that they can age regress people. What they do when they abduct somebody is they ask them to sign a 20-year commitment, a 20-year contract. Randy had, Randy had to sign a 20-year contract. When he signed that contract, he, he was a Marine and he wanted to stay a Marine. And they wanted him to be a Marine. But they were going to turn him into a super soldier on Mars. And Randy went to Mars, and he fought their battles for 17 years. 
And he, then he finished out his 20-year commitment by acting as a pilot on one of their spaceships for the, for the next three years. After the 20-year after the commitment had ended, here's what they do. They wipe the memory clean so none of it can be remembered. And they actually have the ability to age regress the body back to its, back to its original condition 20 years previously. And then they sent him back to Earth. That's, that's how he got back to Earth. He, he did his 20-year commitment on the moon and Mars. He got wounded. He, lost a, he actually lost a leg, which they regenerated. They have that ability. And uh, he finished his commitment, and he came back here. That's why, that's why he's here now. Um, did they do any cloning? Yes, they do cloning. They have incredible biotechnology on, Mar on the Mars. But I think their most, their most impressive, uh, their most impressive tech, uh, uh, thing that they have developed and perfected is the creation of cyborgs. Now, now do you know what a cyborg is? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's something that starts out as a human, but they add incredible electronic gadgetry and uh, technology and it, the person becomes part human, part machine. And on Mars, they have a laboratory where they create cyborgs. So, um, uh, the cyborgs are being used to fight their battles, basically, throughout the solar system. But they completely control Mars and they completely control the moon. There are basically no Americans. There's, there is one American base on Mars. It's a joint Russian-American base, but the, the Nazis control Mars completely and they control the moon completely. And when I, and you, do, you may recall that I said the moon is really artificial anyway. Yeah. So the entire interior of the moon is one big, uh, is one big factory. So that's, you know, so that's the situation at the present time. And that's why we can't really get a foothold on Mars or the moon. So is that why the, like, the space program seemed to have just came to a halt in around, like, the 70s? Exactly. We stopped going to the moon. Uh, yes. We, we, we didn't have any plans for going to Mars, even though we you know, had the technology to at least start working on that type of project, but we didn't. And we That's just focused, reason. and we just started focusing on like satellites and, um, you know, things like the Mars rover and stuff like that instead. That's exactly right. And I can, uh, I can point you to the actual page where I said that in my last chapter, uh, that that's why all of our space technology came to a halt. They controlled it. Did you ever hear of the brain drain? Yes. In the 60s? Mm -hmm. The brain drain occurred because they were taking all of our promising scientists and advanced uh, electronic and aerospace people and taking them to Mars. And uh, they were leaving us with nothing. And so... Uh, their purpose, of course, was to control our technology, which they did. 
and we just amused ourselves with uh, mo movies and uh, and TV shows. All right. I, I have a friend who kind of, he describes the human race as sort of like being in like a sleep mode or safe mode. That's a good way to look at it, actually. Yeah. It's, really, it's a good way to look at it, yeah. And, and now we're just starting to sort of wake up out of that. And I guess maybe the cause of that is because of them leaving the planet. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let me let me let me go over one more thing here. Uh, they controlled our aerospace industry completely. Werner von Braun was in charge, but all the German scientists uh, controlled the, our aerospace companies, our financial companies. However, there was one. There was one company they couldn't control. It was Douglas, Douglas Aircraft. Douglas Aircraft had some of the most advanced American aerospace engineers on the planet. And um, when World War II broke out, Douglas started sending spies over to Germany. These were Americans who spoke German fluently and fit right into German society and German, and German industry and started sending back information here. And based on the information they were sending us, we started building our own spaceships. The Navy, the Navy started building American spaceships. And uh, Bill Tompkins, who wrote the book Selected by Extraterrestrials, have you heard about that book? Uh, no. He was, one of the, he was one of the scientists working on that. And if you want to understand what was happening, you've got to get that book. Get it on Amazon, okay? I'll Selected, check it out. Selected by Extraterrestrials by Bill Tompkins, William Tompkins, okay? Or you can go back to my website and look at the, the, the video that I call Main Featured Video. Have you watched that yet? I did, yes. You watch that main featured video? Yes. Well, then you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Okay, good. So we then developed our own galactic, uh, you might call it a military, it wasn't really military, but it was a galactic core of ships. And we started building large spaceships um, we started using the, the, the submarine bases in New London where we were building large submarines. We used that to build spaceships. And a lot of the spaceships were built in orbit. Then we built a huge facility under the uh, mountains in uh, Utah at the base of the Wasatch Mountains uh, where we started building really large spacecraft and this became, uh, this, this became our main facility. At one time, we've had 36,000 people working there underground on spaceships. So we now have our own space fleet, and it's called Solar Warden. And it's not that, it's not that we have confronted the Germans yet. We have not. We have not yet. We're still working together with them. But things are starting to change now. And because we have our own technology and we have ships out all the way out into the galaxy already, 
uh, we're getting to the point now where we may be able to start a process of taking over our, our own planet again. That's where we are now. Is our current situation right now, like, the, you know, things are sort of unstable and we have the COVID-19 and there's a lot of political unrest. Is all that due to what's happening behind the scenes? Well, I, I, right from the beginning, it was clear to me that COVID-19 was a bioweapon. It was not a virus. It was a bioweapon. And, and I already knew that the reptilians had, had very sophisticated uh, biotechnology and they were very capable of creating a, a virus like that. So I think that they've reached the point where they decided to start reducing our population. And that's what they're doing, basically. But um, the point is that uh, we're getting help now. We're getting help now. And uh, we have friends in the galaxy. And we have friends particularly in the, in the Andromeda galaxy, not the Milky Way. I, I don't know if you know about the, the Andromeda galaxy is is uh, a galaxy, a complete galaxy like the Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of friends there who are helping us in many ways. So basically, the plan is, the human plan, the race, the, the, the race, the plan of the human race is to get the reptilians off this planet completely. And I think that is underway. They're starting to clean out the, uh, all the bases under, sea, uh, under the seas, under, underground, and they're leaving. How, so, how about the uh, moon and Mars? Will they be leaving there also? No, no, they, they still control the moon and Mars. Hmm. They control, if you read my book, you'll find out that they have five bases on the moon with huge spaceships. And Mars, they have a, a colony on Mars. Uh, they have a, a corporation on Mars building cyborgs. And by, cyborgs, when they, when they create cyborgs, that's a product they can sell all over the galaxy because there are civilizations that actually buy these cyborgs and create an instant arm, an instant army with them. I mean, just watch some of the science, some of them sci-fi movies, Battlestar Galactica. Have you seen Battlestar Galactica? Yes. So you know what that's about. Yeah. So I think we're at a point now where, um, our better angels are starting to help us now. And the human race is starting to evolve and uh, starting to understand the situation that we've been controlled all these years. We do have the capabilities of being much more advanced than the reptilians. Uh, the, the, basic, the basic human spirit is very advanced, very advanced. But they've kept us under control for so long that uh, we've forgotten how to do anything the right way. But I think things are starting to change now. And uh, once, we, once we take over, take this planet back, because it really is a human planet, when you, when you consider the fact that when they got here, they destroyed a whole human uh, planet called Maldek, and they almost destroyed Mars, the Mars civilization, we're basically going to take back the solar system. That's where we're at now. And we have large spaceships out in, already out in the galaxy. I don't know if you ever heard of a, a guy named uh, Ben Rich. No. Okay. 
Ben Rich was the president of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. Oh, okay, yeah, I've heard of Skunk Works. You know about the Skunk Works? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Ben Rich was the president of the Skunk Works. And uh, when he retired, he gave, he gave a speech uh, to, I think it was to his college, UCLA, I'm not sure, in which he made the following statements. And this, is, this can be proven easily. He said, anything you can imagine, we can already do. We now have the ability to take E.T. home. But these things are locked up in, space, in, in secret programs so tight that it would take an act of God to get them out. Okay? So mm-hmm. basically what he was saying, and if anybody... If anybody had the ability to know the truth, he had it. He was, you know, he was the president of Skunk Works. Right. Um, what he said was, anything you can imagine, we can already do. So what's happening is our space fleet, which is now called Solar Warden, uh, is out in the galaxy. And, and my feeling is that eventually we will be able to have a final battle with the Nazis on Mars and the moon. And take over because the one, the one, the one major urgency to this is the fact that uh, both the, the Nazis on both the Moon and Mars have large, large populations of slaves. They that's what they do. They enslave people. And when you read my book, I have a lot of thing, a lot of material in there about that. And our goal, basically. Uh, you know, have you watched Star Trek very much? Oh yeah. Well, what do you? What's your opinion of Star Trek? You know, and I've actually had this conversation with other guests too uh, about the idea um, that that Gene Roddenberry had um, information that that was true information, and one of the ways of getting it out was through Star Trek. And I Not, think that is, and, and I believe that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the best ways to kind of see how people are going to react to thing, something is to put it out there as fiction first and see how people react. Especially when the truth itself is being repressed, yes. and the truth has been repressed because they control the universities and they control all the scientific uh, facilities on our, on our planet. So it had to come out only as it could only come out as fiction. And Roddenberry was the one that did it. Um, have you ever talked to John Lear? Yeah, I talked to him briefly, but I know a lot about John Lear. Because I've spoken with him before too, and, and he has, uh, you know, a lot to say about bases on the moon. What did he say exactly? Do you remember? Um, you know, he, he just said he'd say specifically which group of aliens had. Bases, but he said there was a lot of bases on the dark side of the moon, and that he had evidence of it. Um, I think if anybody was in a position to know, he probably was. Um, the uh, on page uh, one twenty-two of my book. Do you have it there? No, I don't. Okay, starting on page one twenty-two. And going to page, and I do mention Lear in, in my book, 
going to page uh, 120, let's see, 124, I described the five moon bases and that the aliens are running, that have on the moon and uh, how they are populated and what they do there. Uh, they're, all in, they're all in German hands. They're all Nazi, in Nazi hands. And uh, they have no real freedom there. If anybody gets out of, out of control, they kill them. But the main facility on uh, the moon, the main alien facility is what's called the Dark Fleet. So when you read my book, read that part of it about the Dark Fleet because the Dark Fleet is the Nazi uh, fleet of alien, of alien spacecraft that roam the galaxy and that are involved in the slave trade, heavily involved in the slave trade. So if you recall on Star Trek, mm -hmm. I think there was some mention of the slave trade on Star Trek, if I recall. Do you, do you remember any of that? Um, a little bit, yeah. See, my, my, my question with, with the slave trade, though, is if you have the ability to make clones and you have the ability to make cyborgs, you know, wouldn't it be easier just to produce slaves rather than take them from planets? Well, they do produce slaves. Yes, they do a lot so of that. So they just yeah. make them. But you can't, you can't, get, you can't improve on the, the, the human race has abilities <clears throat> that they treasure. <clears throat> We're very good at technical, th technical matters and scientific matters. You can't do that with a slave. They need us for a lot, of, a lot of their programs and they use us for that. Is there something that we can do that they can't do? Um, like I often hear that from some <clears throat> other guests that human beings have a special ability to be multidimensional. Yeah, I think that's true because we have access to the sixth dimension. The reptilians can only go as high as the fourth dimension. So, so we're able to go further than they can. Yes, we can. We we can, and that's and we we can reach into the sixth dimension. And if we go multi-dimensional, if we live up to our true, if we were to live up to our true potential, uh, the reptilians would be gone overnight, practically. And they are basically afraid of us. They know that. They know what we're capable of. So that's kind that's of why, why they. That's why they. That's why they abduct us, mm -hmm. and bring us up and bring us up there to work. And it's also their way of sort of keeping a lid on us, because they know if we completely wake up, they're finished in the solar system, basically. That's, that's right. And that was the purpose of my book, was to bring that out, and to talk about that. So, you know, I think we're, we're at a midpoint now where that's starting to become possible. Mm -hmm. But I think that this uh, virus thing, they, they have very sophisticated biotechnology. They can create a virus like that easily. And uh, I'm afraid that they can use that to really wipe us out. It's very possible. I sure hope not. I mean, so far, they haven't. <laughs> so... Um, okay, but, think, but, but maybe this virus is like a warning. 
you could look at it that way. You could look at it that way. It's like uh, straighten out or we'll kill all of you. Yeah. Uh, 180,000 people dead in five months. I mean, how many did we lose in World War II? Uh, I think it was like 600,000. Right. And we're, we're, getting, we're, gonna get, we're getting up in those numbers. Uh, the, the vi- who was it that said the most deadly weapon on the planet is a virus? I can't remember who it was that said that, but that, that's basically true, I think. Is it Carl Sagan? It might have been Sagan. Yeah, it might have been Sagan. I can't recall. Uh, but um, that was, they used that phrase uh, as a prelude to the movie uh, Outbreak. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the movie Outbreak? Oh, yeah, Dustin Hoffman, right? Yes. That's what they said. Uh, they showed that on the black screen at the beginning of the movie. Right. And there's also um, the book Andromeda, which talks about an alien virus coming from like a meteor, I believe it was. Well, you know, I've never read that. Is that a good, is that, that sounds like a good book. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a classic. Well, who wrote that? I'd have to look up the author. Hold on one second, I'll let you know. Okay. Because I read it, oh, man, I'm talking whew, 30 years ago, maybe. Yeah, I'll have to read that. That's one of the problems with getting old is my, I get new information that replaces old information. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know the problem believe me I have the same problem are you there yep I'm just looking this up oh okay um, let's see it was called Andromeda it's yes you're right and book let's see it's interesting that that they use that the word andromeda because the andromedan galaxy really uh they basically are friendly to us very friendly let's see michael crichton Crichton? Oh, Crichton. Crichton, Crichton, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to look that up on on, uh, um, on uh, Amazon. So, when talking about um, reptilians in particular, I have to ask you about David Icke. I mean, to me, when, when I, I when he first came out with his reptilian, um thing like he started trying to expose it to me it seems like he definitely had more of a right-wing political agenda to it rather than an authentic agenda towards exposing reptilians in general well what how would you describe that agenda then <clears throat> i don't know it, it it seems like he was favoring a you know certain political groups you know in you know, like, like, like he had those videos of the Clintons with the shape-shifting eyes, which I know were, were created by a hacker named Ass Cloud, oddly enough. 
you know, so he was faking it basically. Like, I, is, so what the feeling I get from him is that he was probably being used as a tool to spread disinformation. That's what, kind of what I'm getting at. You think he, that's what he was doing? <clears throat> I think so. What do you think? What would his, what would his motive be for that? Um, well, let's say like people are starting to find out that this reptilian thing is true. Um, and you want to prevent it from being com- becoming true. <clears throat> One of the things that the government likes to do is throw some disinformation at it to make people disbelieve it. Yeah, but making ridiculous claims, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you know, he, go ahead. Yeah, that's a that's a possibility. But you know, he was he broke the he broke the ground on this. He was he was the one that broke the ground on the whole reptilian thing, and he had to put up with a lot of ridicule. Uh, but he stuck to his guns, and he became the basically the authority on this subject. Right. Uh, I don't think his motives were. You think his motives might have been nefarious or something? Uh, I don't know if he was even aware of it. You know, I think he just may have been fed information from a nefarious source, possibly. Because probably we were becoming coming too close to, to the existence of finding about the existence of these beings. So something had to be done. So the first thing he started doing is using him as a tool to spread disinformation about it. It looks like you're on mute. Okay, you're back. Am I back now? Yep. Okay. I think he was he was just giving people the results of his of his uh, research. Hmm. I mean, he wrote how many books did he write? Twelve books, something like that. No, I think uh, I I was willing to take on the the ridicule, and I think he did he did the human race a great favor by because everyone thought the whole idea of reptilians was crazy when he came along, and. Right. Uh, he, he, he returned it to more of a normalcy, a normalcy. And, you know, my research brought me to the same area that he got to, but I, I was able to see that it, it took a different twist with me. Uh, he, didn't really, he didn't really get into how the reptilians controlled the human race, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, just, he just discussed their existence. Well, it, seemed, it, seemed, it seemed to me he just sort of pinned it on a Democratic Party in the United States. He did what? It seems like he just pinned it onto the Democratic Party. Did he really do that? It seems that, that way. When I watched it, listened to him talk and watched the videos. You there? Hello? Gary, you there? Yep, yep, you're back. 
Okay. All right. Um, when he started making these claims and writing these books, everybody thought he was crazy. Yeah. And especially when he said the Queen of England was a reptilian. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that stretched it just much too far. And yet he broke the ground and the ground had to be broken and he did it. Hmm. So I think he deserves a lot of credit because he, he stuck to his guns. I went to see, I went to hear him speak here in Phoenix. Um, uh, had to be about five years ago. He filled up an entire theater. He couldn't even get seats to the to his uh, talk, and it was a large theater. So, you know, people are listening to him, and people are reading his books. Oh, absolutely! He's definitely getting attention, and has brought <clears throat> attention to the subject. Um, how about the Greys? What do you are, are are they friendly towards us? Are they trying to help us? And where do they come from? According to my research and everything I've learned, and I, I've, I've I've checked this out in several different sources, the Greys were created by the reptilians. They were they're a slave race. You might say a slave race, a subject race. They do the abducting. They do the abducting. They do all the dirty work. The reptilians don't want to bother with. And then the reptilians take over when they need to. But the reptilians run the show. The greys have uh, lost the ability to reproduce on their own anyway. So they have to, they have to clone. They have no choice. And, uh, but they are basically a creation of the reptilians. Uh, that's that's what I, my research has brought up. Mm -hmm. um. <clears throat> Are there any other extraterrestrials that we should be concerned about? Well, you know, there probably are other evil uh, extraterrestrials out there, but we don't know about. But the reptilians are so powerful. They have such ama amazing technology, amazing biotechnology, uh, that there's really nobody else that can compete with them. They can, my understanding is they control 21 star systems in this segment of the galaxy, but their territory must be even much larger than that. So the, the reason that, that they're of great concern is that they have no compassion or any feeling. There is no such thing as love. The reptilians have nothing that we can call love or empathy or any of that. They just know how to dominate and to use. That's what they do. Now, how such a race came to be created, who knows? I don't know. It's a big galaxy, you know? But all, what I do know is that we have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of the human race. Right. One way, the, one way or the other. So it sounds like maybe you're indicating that maybe the reptilians were created by somebody even worse than them. Okay, I, uh, I did, a lot of my research was done uh, on Robert Morning Sky. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. No, I haven't. Robert Morning Sky was an Indian chieftain, uh, Indian chieftain, but he was really uh, very smart and very uh, educated. He had a master's degree in, re in religious studies, and he wrote two books about the reptilians and where they came from, how they were created, uh, what they're doing here. And he got this information uh, because... Uh, of a crash on an Indian reservation. 
there was a crash on an Indian reservation way back prior to Roswell. And there was one survivor. And six young Indian boys rescued the survivor and nursed him back to health. And eventually, he started telling them the history of the reptilian race. Uh, and when he went, eventually he, he, he joined, he left the, his reservation and became human, a human. He sort of lived the life of a human being because mm. he resembled us and he was able to merge, to merge in with us. But the point was that uh, the story he told to those six Indian boys, one of them was Robert Morningsky's grandfather. And he passed the story on to his son, and then that's how Robert Morningsky got the information. And uh, I decided that I needed to make that part of my book, that history. So that became the first uh, four chapters of my book, Alien World Order. And uh, that's the only information we have on where they came from. And what he said was they just appeared in this galaxy. Nobody knows from where they came. And uh, started to develop and to take over. That's all I can tell you about that. But he, so, he's, our best, he's our best source. Robert yeah. Morningstar, anything you can get by Robert Morningstar, I would, strong, I would definitely uh, recommend it. Yeah, but I think it's definitely safe to assume that there's probably some type of backstory to the origin of these reptilians. Does that, there has to be. I, I, I mean, if reptilians are creating greys and, and they're messing around with human DNA, something may have created them as well. Exactly, exactly. You know, um, when, when uh, Randy Kramer was on Mars, he talked about creatures that looked like bugs, but they were fully grown. They were like six foot tall, but they had, they had bug-like appendages. They had four, like four arms and so forth, but they were very intelligent and very fierce warriors. He talks about this. And when you look around at, at, the, bug, at the bug population, you see how diverse it is uh, here on earth. Yes. You know, if if there are if there are bug-like creatures out there, and reptilians out there, God knows what else is out there. This this apparently this is a very this is a very diverse uh, cosmology here. And uh, while we humans may think of that we are the ultimate creation, there are all kinds of creatures out there, just as there are on uh, in our on our planet here on Earth. You know, you know. You look at dinosaurs. You look at the creatures that existed in Jurassic times. Yes, it's a strange universe. Let's face it. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> Absolutely. And they, and they. It's very possible that some creatures like to eat humans. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, you know, what can I tell you? It all makes sense to me. Interesting. Um, well, we go we'll backtrack a little bit back to the scientists in Germany and stuff like that. Um, Einstein came from Germany fleeing the Nazis. Was he aware of the reptilians or working for them? I doubt it. I doubt it. All he knew about was the, the anti-Semitism and the cruelty. 
but we do know that the reptilians were definitely in partnership with Hitler. That's a known fact. They were behind mm. Hitler. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, they, you know, it's possible Einstein would have become aware of that, but I doubt it. Interesting. The reason I asked that is because, believe it or not, my mom actually worked for Einstein. Did she really? Yeah, she used to split atoms at Princeton University for him. No kidding. Yeah. What was her, what was her, uh, what was her job there? That, that was it. She, just, she, she worked in a lab um, operating an atom splitter and measuring the amount of energy that was released from every time they split an atom. So did she work directly for Einstein? It was part of the uh, project. No kidding. Yeah. And what did she have? Did she have anything interesting to tell you? Um, I, I mean, she, she, she knew him, you know, she said she was, you know, he was about how, how eccentric he was. Um, she was kind of vague about it. I, I actually have some stuff that she gave me, um, but, but it's, the math is way over my head, so I don't understand any of it. Uh-huh. Well, I'm thinking about that big atom splitter they have in Switzerland and what they're doing with that. Um, yeah, the, the, the Hardin Collider. Yes. Yes. Is that it's called the Hayden, is it the Hayden Collider or the Hardin Collider? Something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. And apparently it can produce uh, dark matter. Oh, I didn't know that. And it's also, it's also yeah. already produced element 115, which is what Bob Lazar said operated uh, the craft that he was reverse engineering at Groom Lake. Now, did... Did, did they actually create element 115 with, as far can, as you know? Yeah, they can create it, but they can't stabilize it. Yeah, it has a very short, uh, very short shelf life, I understand. Yeah. About, yeah. Like about 20 seconds or something like that? Not even. I think it's less than a second. Less than a second. Yeah. But don't we have the ability now to actually create it uh, in general? Yeah, we can, we can create it, but we can't stabilize it to make it last. But it is on the periodic table, isn't it? Yep, it is on the periodic table now. And according to Lazar, that's how they created anti-gravity. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's really something. I, I doubt, I don't think Einstein probably knew about that at that point. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, he never took up, he never took on the subject of anti-gravity as far as I know. No, no mostly time, he, space, energy. Right. Exactly. So to have told Einstein that we can now send spacecraft up at, uh, that are traveling at uh, two to three times the speed of light, he would never be able to accept that idea. Mm, I don't know. I, I do think Einstein philosophically believed like maybe possibly um, in conscious, like, like maybe not in a physical way, but possibly in a conscious way. You know, because he does acknowledge consciousness as something unexplainable also? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's to, that's to his credit. Absolutely. So, so I don't yeah. know where he would have gone with that. I know. I know. He, he, it just, uh, he just, couldn't, it just couldn't understand how, how it could get to that point. Meanwhile, the Germans have been using anti, uh, uh, 
spacecraft that traveled two to three times the speed of light since the 60s or 70s on Mars and the moon. So you have to wonder, you know, how they were able to get so much information from the reptilians. I don't know. It seems like, I, I mean, you know, we were talking about the earlier on the phone about how, you know, everybody thought Hitler had died, but he actually had escaped to Argentina. And Argentina, obviously, is pretty close to Antarctica. Yes, which it is. is. where the, the um, you're saying, you know, the reptilian bases were. Obviously, yes. obviously, no coincidence there. No, 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 no. There's no coincidence. Uh, go back, if you want to, uh, if you get a chance, go back to my website and, and watch that one called Main Featured Video. That's an interview between Jeff Rents and uh, uh, Bill Tompkins. Mm -hmm. Have you done that? You haven't done that yet, right? Not that one, no. You haven't watched that video? I don't know. I know I watched some videos, but I don't know who they were with. I didn't check the names. Okay, well, on the menu, on the, on the menu that's above, uh, across the top of my website, go to the one that says Main Featured Video. Mm -hmm. And you'll get the whole story in a nutshell. How um, the, uh, the, the Nazis really won World War II, is what Bill Tompkins claims. When uh, they started their, their colony on Antarctica, their scientific colony in Antarctica, eventually American scientists went down there and joined them because they had the ability, they had scientific capabilities way beyond anything we had. And um, uh, so what they were doing on Mars and the moon was incredible, absolutely incredible. So it sounds like uh, like what Bob Lazar was reporting from Groom Lake was uh, small potatoes compared to what was going on in Antarctica. Yes, it was. It was. I mean, he was just trying to back in, to reach the back engineer uh, uh, flying saucers, and um, of course he wasn't in on the real the real information anyway. Yeah, he didn't he didn't get the good stuff. Uh, but Bill Uhouse, have you heard of Bill Uhouse? I haven't, no. Okay. Uh, if you go to, if you go to, uh, go, go out to YouTube and just put his name in there and see if you can come up with his videos. I think two or three of them are still out there. Uh, Bill was in the Marine Corps and he was tapped to work for a scientific research project to back engineer uh, alien spacecraft and uh, so he got he learned a lot from that because uh, the aliens themselves were helping us in that regard and um, he would meet with them occasionally when he had a problem he had to solve uh, uh, in developing the the uh, spacecraft he they would the scientists would bring them in to speak with him and they, and they could, they could communicate. And according to you house by 1958, we had a working flying saucer based on that program. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that, that Ben Rich would be saying that in 1993, that we now 
could roam the galaxy mm -hmm. and uh, uh, anything you can imagine we can already do because that was that was 40 years later yeah, what what year was it that the Nazis developed that bell you ever hear believe that that they they made a bell which was supposed to be an anti-gravity device my understanding of the bell according to my my re readings of uh, of Mars Jim Mars is that uh, it was not really a a spacecraft as so much as it was an interdimensional device mm -hmm. it was a way it was a way of uh, it was a way of going through a time tunnel so to speak and uh, it was is being pushed by uh, Maria Maria Orsich she was she was one of the ones that that was supposedly getting information from a planet called in Aldebaran mm -hmm. on instructions how to create this this craft because basically she wanted to use it to go back to Aldebaran which is where she was from and uh, it was being used as a uh, it was used to go through a time t time warp that's my understanding it wasn't really a spacecraft Okay, so it was probably more related to something like what we would have considered like the Montauk Project. Exactly, exactly. And we had one of our own too, I believe, that the that apparently crashed or landed in Pennsylvania. You talking about the Kecksburg thing? Yes. Yeah, I don't know too much about Kecksburg. I've heard a lot about it, and um, Mars talked about it a lot. But I don't really have any information about it. Yeah. Oh, Jim. I used to Jim talk. Was. Yeah, I used to talk to him on AboveTopSecret.com. Oh yeah. Back in the day, yeah. He was a great guy, wasn't he? He was awesome. He he would talk to anybody. I know he would. I know he would. He was, he was way great. ahead of the crowd. Yeah. He was way ahead of the crowd. Yeah, he really was. And uh, he understood what Hit was going was going on with Hitler and all of that. He. He basically understood that, and also what was going on in Antarctica. He knew about that. Hmm. Yeah, I never talked to him specifically about that, but he was pretty cool. Yes, he was. And um, so, you know, basically, uh, one of the things I've discovered recently is uh, a guy named Tolek. Have you heard of Tolek? No. How about how about Alex um, or Alex? Uh, what's his name? Okay, okay. Tolek claims to be a representative of an Andromedan civilization. Mm -hmm. He talks about it. He, he, he talks about the fact that the Andromedans had a meeting. I think he said about ten years ago and decided it was time to help us here on Earth, that they were now going to actually help us, despite the prime directive, that they felt that we needed help, and they were going to, they were going to do that. And according to Tolek, the Andromedans have tremendous technology also. Um, they came in and they started to clean up our planet for us. They started kicking out the reptilians from all the underground bases and all the undersea bases. And uh, he said, according to what he said in um, 
about three, four years ago that there were only about three or 400 of them left on this planet. Now, if, if what he's saying is true, that means the only ones left who are controlling this planet are the, are the Illuminati, the hybrids. They probably just yeah. don't want to give up. They, they're not giving up. And uh, according to Tolak, that's the last frontier. If we get past that frontier, we're in, we're in Star Trek. We're in Star Trek country. We're, we're going to start to roam the galaxy and start freeing the slaves. So I hope that's true. I hope because so we do, too. We do have the spaceships. I do know that by my conversation with, with Bill Tompkins. I had spoke with a, a medium. It was one of my first episodes. Her name was uh, Marianne Coleman in New I think she was in New Zealand. And she told me that there was a war going on. And when, like, you, what you're calling reptilian, she would refer to them as controllers. And that the controllers were basically, you know, being told to leave the planet. And what's going on now is that the Illuminati, which was working for the controllers, are just doing everything they can to hang on to power and they're losing. That's so, exactly so you, that's what exactly. you're telling me and what she told me match up perfectly. Yes, that's exactly what I what I was what I figured out too. That's the exact information that I got too. Tolak said that uh, there the, we can't the Illuminati is still hanging in there uh, because they feel like if they if they do not, they'll definitely be be destroyed. And uh, so we're basically in a rep, in an Illuminati-controlled planet at this point. Yeah, but it sounds like freedom might be around the corner. Yes, but if the virus doesn't get us, we'll be all right. You know, yeah. if the virus doesn't get us, I think we'll we'll start to we'll start to make some really great strides and start to live up to our potential because we do have the potential to become fifth and sixth dimensional creatures. And uh, the way we were, we were first created by Alex, Alex Collier is the guy I was trying to think of. Anything you can get your hands on by Alex Collier, you should read. There's still a lot of stuff out there by him. He's basically retired, but any, he, there's a lot of information out there. You're going to have to send me an email with all this stuff to read. <laughs> okay. uh, this one interview has given me a lifetime worth of stuff to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been at it for about 30 years, you know, and I'm putting things together. Basically, all I do, all I do is connect dots. That's all I do. I think that's what most people do. That's why I started this podcast, just to put out as much information as I possibly can. And, you know, I mean, let my listeners decide for themselves because honestly, I don't think you can tell people what to believe, but we can't give them information and let them decide. Exactly. Exactly. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Absolutely. Once you start trying to convince anybody, forget it. It's over. <laughs> it's all over. It doesn't, doesn't work. Awesome. But you know, you know, what we do have, though, what we do have was Hollywood, when Hollywood decided that they were going to try and get this information out to us 
through fictional means. That was a big, that was a big help. That was a really big step in the right direction because Star Trek, Star Wars, Stargate, all of that stuff has been very helpful. It inspires us in a lot of ways and we begin to see that these, all these things are really possible. Um, if you take Stargate, for instance, you know, there, you know such things as Stargates do exist. You, mm -hmm. you are aware of that, right? Yes. And uh, it took a movie like that to, to make us understand how that works and start to put these pieces together so uh, that people can go through through uh, time warps and through and through wormholes mm -hmm. and that the rest the rest of the uh, of the solar system and the galaxy is out there and we're reaching the point now we can start to to do what captain kirk did so one of the things I want, I want to ask you on that subject, like, and, and I want to back up again. I'm sorry, we had that so much, but but back to like the idea, you know, like the Stargate thing, like with the Montauk Project and the Philadelphia Experiment. You know, that's kind of like what was happening there was like we're using basically frequencies to try to create Stargates. Now it seems like now people are doing it without the use of technology. And just using it, go, doing it through consciousness, with just doing it without a body because it's easier to travel those distances without the actual body. Yeah, that's interesting. That really is interesting. Um, is that based on the, Merca the Mer what do they call it, the Merkaba? Yeah, you can, I mean, that would be like an ancient term for it, yeah. Like a Merkaba riders. Well, I've heard, I've heard people talk about that. And I, I think there is something to that. Um, the, uh, if you read my book, the technology section, I do talk about the fact that the Nazis on Mars do seem to have a technology for going, for creating suits, suits that you can wear a suit with a helmet that has the ability to take you through a portal uh, without the ship, just directly mm. through the cosmos, which you know is similar to what's on Star Trek. I mean, really, what that really has? How is that different than um, than what was on Star Trek? And I think that may be something to that. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think like a lot of like from what I hear from just from talking to people. One of the things I've really become interested in lately is just out of body experiences. Have you got looking? Have you looked into that? I've I've um, had I interviewed somebody not too long ago, and um, he gave me some some tips on how to try to do it um, with this stuff called um, hemisync music, which um, bound, like you put headphones in, you listen to this music and or sounds and it connects different parts of your brains through using vibration. Yes. Um, I don't know if it, I've gotten it to work yet or if I just fallen asleep. <laughs> um, you know, I got, I, I got that, I got that disc and I tried it and I couldn't, I couldn't make it work. I could not make it work, but I did try it. Yeah. So if I'm going to get on, try, you know, work with that some more because I think it's possible. And also, me and him shared like 
we were talking about having epilepsy. We both have epilepsy. When you have an epileptic seizure, it's like an out-of-body experience. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like you're conscious, you're somewhere else, but you're not in your body. It's really strange. That is, that's interesting, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, what, do you, what do you know about the Merkaba, though? Is that what they call it, the, Mer the Merkaba or the Merkaba? I'm terrible at pronunciation, but I know you're close. Yeah, like, like there were actually, I believe, like a group of Kabbalists that would basically use the tree of life type of thing to meditate on, to, to travel through the different uh, sephira, which they say make up the universe and also make up us. So essentially, there is an ancient model of a holographic universe and using our consciousness and will to move through it. That to me sounds very possible. Just from what I've investigated, uh, before the virus started, I used to go to all the conferences, you know, uh, in Laughlin and uh, in, in uh, all over the place. And I remember there were a couple of girls there who were talking about that. One of them definitely seemed to be from another planet. I mm -hmm. mean, she was totally different. And I heard her talking to somebody else about going through the Merka, Merkaba, whatever it was. And uh, other people have talked about that. I, I, I haven't really figured it out exactly what it is, but apparently they have the ability to travel in a different kind of a body from planet to planet. And they don't need a physical spaceship. They can move in this other body. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly how that works, though. So. It just makes, it makes sense. Actually, I'm hoping to get an expert on that type of subject on my show soon. Um, he just emailed me, he just emailed me yesterday. Um, he knows a lot about Kabbalah and the history of the Merkaba riders and stuff like that. So I, ha I don't have it confirmed yet, but I'm, I'm really hoping because. Well, you know, keep me on your list, will you? Let me know. Yeah, I'll, get I'll put you on my, uh, on my mailing list and keep Absolutely. you updated on him. I'd appreciate because that. I'd appreciate if I get that. him on my show, it's like it'll be like have like one of my heroes actually. Yeah, what's his name? Do you have do you have his name? Um it's um Lon Milo Duquette. Oh, okay. And um <clears throat> I, he did a lot with Aleister Crowley. Oh, one of those guys. Yeah. Okay. But but, right. but but he's an expert on all that Kabbalah and astral travel type of stuff. I think it's to me it's just it's all connected. It's all the same thing. It is. It is. I agree with you. And I'd like to uh, know more. I'd like to know when when you're going to have that guy on. I definitely want to listen to it. Well, we'll see. I'm still just starting to communicate with him. I was I was surprised to even get an email back from him. I was like, whoa. Well, apparently your show is getting very popular. It is. You know, it's on KGRA Radio now, and I've been also um, booking guests. Um, with somebody who used to work with Art Bell, so it's, ah, it's good. Now, when you when you say KGRA Radio, you mean as a, as a radio program or as a podcast? Um, it's on KGRA Radio, which is an internet radio station. Yeah. Um, so it's actual radio. Yeah. 
So where will this interview take place? The, will this be shown? Well, this is going to be in both. It's going to be in my podcast, and it'll also be aired on the radio. Oh, that's great. That's great. I know KTRA's got a lot of good stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very lucky to have gotten picked up by them. Yeah. Well, uh, Gary, I'm going to have to leave now. I've got a, I've got a lot of things to do here. So yep. uh, it's, it's uh, just pretty much – we're pretty much at the end anyway, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're good, you know. I, I mean, if you ever want to come back, you're welcome back anytime. Hey, thank you. And, I appreciate and, that. And also before we and, wrap uh, it up, I want to make try sure and read, you- Try and read my book uh, because a lot of the things we've been discussing are in there. And, yeah, I think you'd find it interesting. All right. And just give out your website again for my listeners. I'm losing it. I'm using it, Gary. Oh, can you just give out your website for my listeners? Yes. I will put it on the website. Oh, no, no, no. No, tell my listeners what your website is. Oh, you want it now? Yeah, so, so when people are listening, they can look you up. Can you, hear, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, the website is uh, alien-secrethistory.com. Dot com, yeah. Yeah, okay. And that's also going to be in the link and in the notes to this podcast, too. So if my oh. listeners want to look you up, they can go through the links in this podcast, click on that link, and it'll take them to where all your videos and the links to your books and everything. Oh, that's great. That's great. Appreciate that. Hey, I really enjoyed our talk. Me and, too. And um, let's do it again sometime. You got it. You're, you're definitely going to be a reoccurring guest, that's for sure. That's great. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Well, thank you, and have a great evening. You too. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. Tell it be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. On Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. You know, yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.